0: Hear ye, hear ye, come on, come on. You are listening to the Six Cents Report with Joel Nikoloff and Darnell Samuels.
1: It's that time of the week again, bro. Another gotta episode. give our two cents.
0: Uh, well, so what are we talking about today, Joel?
1: Uh, we're talking about your boy, Jug Meat Sing. Nah, that's not my boy.
0: Um, not, not that. Um, for anybody who's gonna misconstrue, the like, oh, what? He doesn't like brown people? Oh well, no, no. I love brown people. I'm all about brown privilege. Um, But in regards to black privilege, I
1: thought it was bro. No, no,
0: no, 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 no. I mean brown privilege. I live in Brampton. Uh, Right. I live in Brampton.
1: Right. So you know where you're a minority. I'm
0: I'm a minority among minorities. I'm a minority among the majority minority.
1: Yo, a straight up. I don't know the. I, I think I know the answer to this question, but I'm not sure. Am I a minority in Brampton? um that statistically i don't know
0: but as a black male living among um brown people um i'm definitely the majority in brampton and i and i and i use the term brown privilege because brown people have done well for themselves in canada especially in brampton in creating an industrious infrastructure for their people they got a hand in everything like my favorite pizza place to go to is pizza depot my physio lady is indian One time I was out of work and I was going to different agencies to find work. And I went to one that was owned by Indian people. And, you know, I filled out my application and handed it, handed it in. And, you know, I was basically, when I handed it in, I told him, look, man, I'm desperate. Like I need something. And, you know, you know, I was the only black guy in there. And on the spot, he just said, okay, he's like, I can help you. And he found me a job the very next day. Um, now mind you when i when i went to the workplace it was you know predominantly indian guys running it and you know they didn't refer to me by my name they just said hey buddy hey buddy hey pick that up buddy go do that buddy things and they were telling the black people what to do felt like brown supremacy (laughs) but but technically honestly you know what indian people are beautiful people because i work with them like i said um I go everywhere and they're there and they're always kind to me. So, and I know, I know, um, Indian people. I know, I I know, they have their bad apples. Just like black people have no, (laughs) just like black people have their bad apples. But I don't judge Indian people based on their bad apples. I I I judge them on their good apples, and I hope hopefully they judge me the same way.
1: In general, there's there's always bad people, right? Like, I mean, yeah, but sometimes there's a lot of bad people. (laughs) Joe. Well, I mean, like Joe Rogan has the has get a pretty good joke in the in or. He uses a punchline, but basically what he says is, like, out of 100 people, like, three of them are idiots, mm-hmm. right? Like, the problem is, you know, when you only see the idiots because the idiots are the loudest ones in the bunch, mm-hmm. right? And so, like, it's it's always possible for, you know, a small group of people to give, you know, a greater—to to misrepresent people that— um, You know, whether it's they look like them or they play the same sport as them or whatever it is. Right. Like if you're only listening to if you're if you're judging people based on, you know, what what seems to be the worst possible version of the like of that group of people. Well, you know, chances are that's because they are the worst possible version of that group of people. So, I mean, I digress. But but my point is, you know, we I, I would say people are beautiful. Right. Like. You know, I come across people of every, you know, ethnicity, and I can't say to you that there's one ethnicity that I generally find, you know, a negative interaction with.
0: Oh, eh, well, speak for yourself. <laughs> okay, see <laughs> for yourself, bro. Well, my I, point I mean, is, I go to Ample and you know, sometimes they ain't dealing with me right or oceans. You know what I mean? So it is what it is. Well, the,
1: yeah, I mean, you know, That's you know, right. but but I granted. You know, anytime there's a language barrier, it's hard to decipher what they No, really I'm not
0: think. talking language, barrier. I'm talking some other stuff, man. I'm talking about okay. some social justice stuff, but that's a whole nother. <laughs> that's a whole nother
1: conversation. Okay, okay. <laughs> All right, well so who's Jagmeet Singh? We'll go there on the on the next episode. <laughs> on the next episode. <laughs> All
0: right, so who is Jagmeet Singh? So Jagmeet Singh, um, was born January second, nineteen seventy nine. He's professionally known as. Uh, Jagmeet saying that's Jugmeet, not Jagmeet. Get his name right, put some respect on his name. So it's Jugmeet. So he's a Canadian lawyer and politician serving as the leader of the new Democratic
1: Party since 2017. And and as his Twitter profile says, it's pronounced Jugmeet like hug. Right.
0: Uh, And also, uh, some of his career highlights... Uh, he's been on the, he's been featured in GQ magazine for his, uh, fly attire. So Jagmeet Singh is a swaggy kind of guy, mm-hmm. mad, you know, he's got, he's got mad drip. <laughs> That's why I said he's <laughs> you your people, crazy? bro.
1: Huh? That's why I said he's your people.
0: Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> if you mean like meets fly and I'm fly or, you know, birds <laughs> of a feather fly and flock together then yeah. Okay. meets my people. But yeah, so uh, he's a pretty down-to-earth guy. Uh, a lot of people like him. Very socially aware. But we want to talk about an interview that he did, and where he was asked about his beliefs as a Sikh. So, uh, yes, he wears a turban and um, rocks the beard. And so, and so basically, they're asking him about his beliefs as a person who of the Sikh faith, and how that meshes with his political beliefs. So we're gonna play a clip from that interview and then jump back into it. Mr. Ashir has been asked about his personal religious views and there's a lot of debate whether that's relevant. Uh, Does he believe being gay or homosexuality is a sin? He wouldn't give a straight answer. He said he'll protect the rights of all Canadians. Uh, You're a religious Sikh. Uh, Let me ask you the same question. If that's now fair territory to ask him, do you as a religious person believe that being gay is a sin? Do you support same-sex marriage? Yes. I don't think it's a sin, and I, I support it all the way. And same on abortion yes, choice? Yes, absolutely, without that, any question. And so does that jive? How does that, How do you balance that with your personal religious beliefs or your religion's beliefs and your personal beliefs? They're completely in line. Uh, my beliefs spiritually are fully in line
1: with the supporting um, same-sex marriage, uh, supporting a woman's right to choose. I have no... Uh, any sort of ambiguity with my personal spiritual beliefs. Is it fair to ask
0: the personal, I'm asking you because that's a new thing here in Canada. Is it fair to ask leaders, what's your personal belief, even though we have religious freedom, to believe what we want? Uh, I think people should believe what they want. I think it gives people confidence, and in my case, people can be very confident that both my spiritual, my personal, my beliefs as a leader are all in line with my values, which are to support a woman's right to choose, which is to
1: support same-sex marriage, which is the fight for equality and fairness for Canadians. Um yeah I mean obviously there's an aspect where this I, I don't want to say him but the interview you know from CTV News um is is trying to or well, maybe not try, trying's not the right word but to some extent they're they're showing you know how does his belief system or his religion differ um from Christianity
0: and Andrew Shear's comments as a Christian in regards to the uh, same-sex marriage and abortions so that's what was. that's what the uh, conversation was in comparison to but yeah go ahead
1: so i think the simplest way of of what i'm trying to get at is is there's a view that they believe that god and creation are, are really one um so things like karma reincarnation um come in line with with their belief system and so you know what what's And and you know this is slightly dated. What I'm about to share is uh, so in 2005, uh, the World Sikh Group came out against uh, the gay marriage bill in Canada, Um, and and the the claim or within the article basically said, um, warning it is against Sikh code and the laws of nature, Um, and and I've actually read some stuff similarly with respect to abortion um that you know abortion is against the laws of nature um so basically it seems that it's not the reason i bring these up is to um and actually the thing about uh, abortion i actually saw in in the twitter feed someone had kind of posted it saying you know a deeper look at the subject would have been interesting um because uh they i don't know they shared something from bbc you uh, U.K., which is from the U.K., um, that basically, it abortion is generally forbidden in Sikhism, um, as it interferes in the creative work of God. But uh, and then at the it finishes this article or this little blurb that despite this theoretical viewpoint, abortion is not uncommon among the Sikh community. So I, I only bring that up to say that it it seems that within the Sikh community um the you know around gay marriage and abortion it's not as clean um as he made it seem now it sounds like his beliefs are clean which I, i'm not by any means um raising any doubts on that um it just seems that he he presented them in such a way that like oh yeah no this is straightforward yeah my my beliefs are you know um in line with or, or sorry that uh, the the religious beliefs are totally exactly as he's described them um and it just seems a little bit um i don't want to say misleading because that's not the right word Um, but it seems like it's a deeper discussion that he made it sound like yeah that's good joel that's good and also
0: there was a comment made by dr tony costa who was on episode 53 biblical social justice 101 and he said And he posed the comment, Can Jagmeet Singh confirm whether any Ghadaras in Canada perform same-sex marriage? Ghadaras being Sikh temples? And I'm assuming the answer is no. But it's definitely something to think about. Well, what is Sikhism? Sikhism is a monotheistic religion. It is the fifth largest organized religion in the world. Number of followers estimated between 20 and 30 million. It was founded in the 16th century in the Indian region of Punjab. Sikhism was founded by Guru Nanak 1469 to 1539. That's the guy they're trying to rename the street Peter Robinson after. Uh, It was based on the teachings. It was based on his teachings and those of the nine Sikh gurus who followed him. Sikhs believe that all subsequent gurus possessed Guru Nanak's divinity and religious authority. These gurus each contributed to the Sikh holy scripture. It was called the Guru Granth Sahib. Gobind Singh, sixteen sixty six to seventeen o eight, the tenth Guru decreed that after his death, the spiritual guide of the Sikhs would be the teachings contained in the Guru Granth Sahib. Ever since, the book has been regarded by Sikhs as a living Guru and Sikhs show it the same respect they would give to a human guru. Guru Granth Sahib is compiled from the writings of Sikh gurus, Hindus, and Muslims' beliefs. Sikhism stresses the importance of doing good actions rather than merely carrying out rituals. Sikhs believe that the way to lead a good life is to keep God in heart and mind At all times, live honestly and work hard, treat everyone equally, be gracious to the less fortunate and serve others. The community of men and women who have been initiated into the Sikh faith is the Kalasa. The Kalasa is said to be the 11th guru of the Sikhs with Guru Granth Sahib as its soul. Members of the Kalasa are identified by five symbols, the five Ks. Kesh, uncut hair. Kanga, a wooden comb. Kara, a metal bracelet. Uh, Kacha, which is the cotton underwear. And the kirpan, a ceremonial sword or dagger. The word Sikh in the Punjabi language means disciple. Sikhs are the disciples of God who follow the writings and teachings of the Sikh gurus. Many Hindus believe Sikhism is to be a sect of Hinduism. But Sikhs see Sikhism as an independent religion. The Sikh place of worship is called a Gadara, which means the residence of the guru or the door that leads to the guru. Sikhism, I find Sikhism very social justice oriented.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, and I think that stems out of, if I understand correctly, uh, there's a value of all people, all people, right? So so everybody is you know similar to the idea of like everybody's equal before the law, so I th- I think that's the root of it, um, and 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 I think uh, you add the idea of karma to that, and um, I think that's where you start to get around the idea of of um, equity as opposed to equality of opportunity. Okay, well, sorry. Um,
0: what, what do you mean by that?
1: So, um. You know, you think of karma and the idea of like helping people who who are less fortunate is is good karma, right? And 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 so by doing this through government, right, we're going to help those who are uh, have an unequal outcome. Um, mm-hmm. To some extent, it's it's viewed with that positive karma perspective to it. Um, so that's why I think because you know. For us as Christians, we would resonate with the idea of equality before the law, right? Or or equal opportunity, um, because they are, or or sorry, as Christians, right? Um, we all are sinners, right? We're we're all in the same playing field, um, you know. No sin makes us um, farther from God than another sin. Um, I mean, obviously, if someone wants to critique me with regards to blasphemy, okay, that's not the point I'm trying to make here. But, <laughs> um, you know, the idea that like we're we're all equal before God with regards to our sin, and and you know nobody is better than another. So, I think there's some commonality there in the way that we view people, um, and and obvious, you know, karma resonates with with the idea of helping the poor within the Christian. You know, it's our responsibility to take care of the widow and the poor, right? Um, so I think there's a lot of, you know, virtuous aspects of uh, Sikhism. Well, oh, yeah,
0: for sure. Like for example, um, so they they have like some kind of concept of sin, like we do, uh, called the 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 Maya, the Maya five thieves, and basically the things that they consider sin or a no-no is ego anger greed attachment and lust so ego uh, especially referring to uh getting the best way to get rid of your ego is to serve others so this is what um and then of course yeah and and so you kind of think yeah, this kind of aligns with his political platform with the new Democratic Party, the NDP. And these are kind of consistent with what he has been uh, preaching from his platform.
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, it's it's an interesting parallel. Um, I, I don't know that all Sikhs would necessarily go down that road, but I definitely see... Um, the, the idea of you know equality or or being concerned with inequality resonating with with at least from the things that Jugmeet Singh has said from the little bits that I know about Sikhism. Okay. Um
0: okay. I, I definitely
1: see a resonation between, you know, the N D P and a more socialist perspective.
0: Okay, what do you mean by that?
1: Uh well I mean for one, I mean he's Praised a you know socialist dictator in Fidel Castro. I can share the tweet if what listeners did he say? don't what, what, believe me. What did he say in the tweet? Um, so, two thousand November twenty sixth, two thousand sixteen, he saw a country. This is a, his meat Sings tweet. He saw a country racked by poverty, illiteracy, and disease. So he led a revolution that uplifted the mil- the lives of millions. R.I.P. Fidel Castro. Um. So, I mean I would I would take issue with many components of this tweet, but different time and a place, right now uh my point is only to to identify that he's resonating with socialism.
0: Right, so so it's not that it's not that um we're just you know throwing names around or name calling, but yeah, he definitely is a fan of Socialism.
1: Yeah, I mean, with without going down the rabbit hole, I mean, our our critique of of socialism wouldn't be anywhere around the motivations, um, or at least for me, right. So the the goals of socialism, on a very surface level, of you know trying to help those that are at the bottom end of the inequality spectrum. Um, or any so other sort of, let's say, virtuous motives, are not obviously not the aspects that we take issue with. Um, for me, from an economics perspective, it would be uh, that the economic system of socialism leads to a, a bad allocation of resources and consequently overproduction or underproduction of the things you actually need, consequently leading to... Um, poverty as opposed to wealth
0: and we have tons of examples throughout history
1: yeah and, i mean obviously the response would be well that's not true socialism um and and this is where without again going down the rabbit hole too deep um the economic principle is is a is this economic calculation problem as it was originally uh f- phrased for um or the socialism calculation problem um that Ludwig von Mises promoted or put forth, and the idea is really that um, profits and prices serve as, and an, profits and prices, absent of government intervention in the first place, but profits and prices serve actually as a, a way to convey information, and in essence, markets serve as a way of conveying information um, and, and really a profitable market indicates that we should allocate more resources to that industry or market and, and a market that is losing money or diminishing means we need to allocate resources out of that market and somewhere else. Um, but when you have a central planning and, and socialism, in essence, you lack the market mechanisms to identify um the the reallocation of resources uh, is is probably the best way of thinking about it you know when when does a um a, a market or a particular business need to re, realign itself uh with the way that the economy is moving uh and when you're central planning and you don't have profit as a tool to identify changes you you lose the ability to adjust accordingly so um hopefully i've done a little bit of justice as to our concern, concern with with socialism um and and we can continue uh evaluating um the NDP and and some other uh aspects right. of Sikhism I, I
0: would also add that socialism also takes away the incentive to want to create wealth for those who are the innovators because whatever they make will be taken away, so there's no incentive and reward in creating wealth and innovation. And on the flip side, for those people who don't want to work, there's no incentive for them to work because everything's always handed out to them. In my research, I stumbled across an article from the Vancouver Sun by columnist Douglas Todd, on why Sikhs are so powerful in Canadian politics. Sikhs are the envy of other minority groups. And he was saying, simply saying that they they adapt at turning grassroots activism into serious political clout. And so when you look at their numbers in the country, there's about 500,000 of them, and they are 1% of the Canadian population. But they... They have a lot of political clout. And when I mean Sikhs, I mean not all Indian people are Sikhs. Not all um, brown people or Indian people are um, Hindu or are Muslim. So there is nuance to the people, and we're not going to paint everybody with a broad brush, but just particularly the Sikh faith, 500,000 of them, and they're 1% of the population. What's interesting about that is how do they... How do they garner all that support? So the article was saying that the grassroots process typically begins with broad elections at hundreds of Canadian Gardarwas, which are like churches or temples, or temples, especially in Vancouver suburbs such as Surrey, in neighborhoods of Calgary, and in Toronto suburbs such as Mississauga and especially Brampton. See Canadians, political power is greatest at the local party level. And so at determining who is nominated to represent ridings, and in gathering bulk members up to vote for a candidate to become a provincial or national leader of a particular party. So what you see is like they got 10 to 20 individuals, mostly men in these Gudarwas, and not and they gain access to pools of money, typically religious donations made in cash. And so they, they're able to influence a circle of, let's like, say, like 40 to 50 extended families. And that group that operates a Gadarwa can effectively obtain funds and temple volunteers on behalf of their partisan favorite. So that way, they often, um, they often man a table in the temple on behalf of their, pol- their politician, particularly on weekends when devotees come by the hundreds.
1: You know, the, what's interesting, and I, I think you skipped over this part of the article, uh, if I, or I missed you saying it, is, in essence, Sikhs are overrepresented in politics compared to the population. Now, I don't have a problem with that in and of itself, because unequal outcome is the nature of freedom. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all choose to do things according to what we're interested in. Yeah, but also... so. I'm Oh, sorry, go ahead. Like it's I mean, I just want to contrast. It's like one percent versus twelve percent. Right? Like it's a stati- it's a significant difference. Now, that's just uh so actually this is as not twelve percent of politicians, it says twelve percent of federal liberal cabinet ministers are Sikhs, uh, which is works out to fourteen uh liberal Sikh MPs.
0: Okay, so political scientist Schrinder Purewall of Quantlin polytechnic university also points out that another little understood factor that enhances the effectiveness of many Sikh leaders is their traditional caste says Pearl the dominant caste among Punjabi Canadians is Jat which is a land-owning warrior caste he says the high status of a Jat leader makes it easier for certain politicians of Sikh faith to mobilize their relatives, extended families, and friends. As they say, money is the mother's milk of political campaigns. And temples have a lot of it. A lot of cash. So before winning the leadership of the NDP, Singh signed up an astonishing 10,000 party members in BC alone.
1: Hmm.
0: Right? Right? So you start to think like, you know, this is crazy. Now, is there now where where is the hinge in which there could be this could be um, where they can digress from this? Um, yeah. So, yeah. So what, what is the hinge in which this can get better or get worse? And it hinges on, of course, their demographic age wise. So usually the older older. Um, People in the community, they're more likely to uh, follow a particular personality because of ethnic lines or caste system or religious loyalties or family loyalties. They're more likely to vote based on what people tell them to do. But then, of course, you have the more younger Sikhs who would ask more questions um, of, of their representatives to find out what they really believe. But even then you know, you still have a lot of young people that still hold to social justice beliefs, so you don't really see that this political system falling apart, right? Because we always talk about, like, systemic and institutional systems that are set to continue. I think this is one of those.
1: Well, and and I think, you know, what's interesting is, you know, the 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 older generation is is going to be drawn to the personality, as you said it, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why you look at someone like Jugmeet Singh and, and, you know, he has a persona about him. Um, and I think, you know, when you talked about how he came up through the grassroots kind of a movement, had 10,000 people, right? Like he developed that following um, or, or, you know, because his persona uh, was something of interest to the community.
0: Now, the next question I got to ask is, what about black people? Or probably some of our listeners are probably thinking that. <laughs> but, you know, like, how, how do, you know, the Sikhs have so much power and make it moves politically while, you know, as black people, you know, we stay hashtagging and holding up traffic. You know, we're always comparing ourselves to the Jews and, and to the Asians. Look at the Asians. Look at the Jews. Look how Look how they do this. Look how they do that. Uh, So my answer to that is the reason why black people don't do as well as Sikhs is because Sikhs are unified by something deeper than their skin color. They got the turban, the beard, the kirpan, and and their book that unifies them. Sikhism is the religion and Punjabi is their ethnicity. Skin color is not the zero sum of who they are, nor is it the zero sum of who black people are. Ethnicities vary as well as religious beliefs within a community. It is irrational and a false hope to believe that one could achieve equality of outcome from such diversity.
1: Well, and and I'm curious, I I could be picking the wrong uh, ethnicity, but I feel like you always tell me there's like a couple ethnicities that like within the black community that go hard. And, And like I'm thinking of like, I don't know why I keep thinking like Nigerian. Mm hmm. Um, and I, I think you've said a couple others where like they just they do really, really well. Right. Um, almost as an outlier.
0: Right. And and um and just like there are you know, in other ethnicities, um with people with the same complexion, um, that do better than others. When it comes to culture, culture is not that culture doesn't come within a vacuum. It doesn't just happen in and of itself. It's not random. But cultures are made up of artifacts. And the artifacts determine how a person lives. So what I mean an artifact, I'm talking about, you know, some cultures are really good at soccer, soccer, right? And that artifact that they have is a soccer ball, or they might have a field, or hockey. You might have, it's really cold outside, you have a lot of, um, you know, you have ponds that freeze over. And so, you know, certain cultures might be better at hockey. Uh, or you have cultures that have particular tools, uh, particular uh, vegetation, animals different types of cooking styles so these are these are artifacts that impact the way we move so nobody's is, is just randomly moving and everybody moves the same way we have access to different different types of artifacts which determine the way we live and one of the major or the greatest artifact we have culturally is literature is books that's why you can see the Jews uh, from the time they became God's people and the Ten Commandments were written and they were given that artifact they lived differently than everybody else you have muslims who have the quran and they live differently right and books are cultural changers and so people that have a book and are governed by a book they live differently and they also live cohesively yeah so they basically agree on on the major tenets of the faith And so that's why I make that point that, yeah, not everybody's the same, nor should we expect them to be the same, because everybody has access to different types of artifacts that influence their culture. But with that said, I want to reference episode 35, church and state. So it's funny, because in episode 35, we talked about what is church and state. But in this episode, we're talking about religion and politics and, you know, religion and politics and the crossover philosophically between the two. And so I was arguing from that episode that religion is a belief that unites people and a belief that people are devoted to. It doesn't necessarily have to point to a deity, um, but people usually make a deity out of a belief and they um, follow it without compromise. That's how you you know people are coming together with one belief. And that's how I was defining religion, and that's how it kind of crosses over into politics, where people have these non-negotiable beliefs that they hold to and will not compromise on, and sometimes get violent against if anybody pushes back against that.
1: Well, and I think the, the idea of getting violent is is something that is, well, well, it's devotional, it's I think passion, it's deeper.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Well, but but the problem is like it it's a whole different ball game. You know, go go back to the last episode with with Don Cherry, right? And and the concern is not the particular um, ideas that he said; it's adding extremism, or or those that already um, don't like minorities, and and somehow you're fueling. Because he's critical of of minorities, arguably, again, I think there's a bit of conversation there as we discussed last episode. But arguably, he's going after, or he's critical of minorities, and now extremism is going to take that critique and result in something bad. Like I think something did. There was something I saw, you know, with like a tagging or or some sort of vandalism. The problem is. Oh, ye have That's left the faith. Not...
0: Or ye left the faith, uh, re- referencing the uh, Flanders Field poem where it talks about ye in the faith and then the guy spray-painted the monument to show that, well, no, you guys have left the faith, the fact that you're not backing up uh, Don Cherry. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, sorry, and... Ahead. and, and at,
1: but But the point is, like, that requires a different idea, right? That requires... Conviction adding, no, it requires willingness to violate another person's property and 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 that is what extremism encompasses
0: yeah but but
1: and the problem is yeah, well, well you got to be careful with the extremism to, though
0: you got to be careful with the extremism because like part of it is but I'm just saying extremism in general. Uh, yeah, well I guess well you know what people call um you know uh violent muslims extremists when technically they're not extremists. They're conservatives. They're following what the scriptures say.
1: Yeah, and I, so that I mean that's a that's a whole other episode. Um <laughs> Yeah, but that's no a whole another conversation. Yeah, but but, that, but
0: that's what I'm saying. I I'm, I'm arguing that that people when it comes to the thing that religion and politics have in common is hope, and people go to drastic measures when their hope is being threatened. So people have their hope in different things, bro. Right? Some people might have their hope in multiculturalism, um, and some people might have their hope in, um, you know, conservative thought or even libertarian thought. You know?
1: Yeah, but but I guess what I'm trying to get at is. To, to go to the place, like, I, I guess the reason I was bringing it up is when it comes to ideas, right? If you're concerned about someone's ideas, like like using the Don Cherry example, that idea in and of itself had no call for violence, had no call for violating someone's property. It had a, if anything, it had a call to positive action, which was to support the troops Mm -hmm. but what i'm trying to get at is that if you're willing to violate someone else's property other than in self-defense you have to own that regardless of the underlying ideas that are criticizing one person or another so the, the problem i'm trying to get at is is that like with regards to the Don Cherry thing, and I think it's relevant here is that because the reason I think it's relevant is because to some extent, we started with a clip that, that was contrasting the Sikh religion with the Christian religion or the Christian faith and the coming back to what I was bringing up with regards to Don Cherry is, is really, we're talking about ideas. Don Cherry had a claim. And the concern is that we, like, from a public outcry, is that we don't want to allow words or speech that explicitly or implicitly lead to violence or, in this case, leads to violating someone else's property. Mm. Um, the, the problem with that is that it is... So subjective it is so dangerous because whoever's in control determines what implicitly leads to violence right and and the way this looks is Communist China doesn't allow you to speak against the regime oh we got to stomp at that speech it's it's dangerous and so you know the reason I want to go down this rabbit hole a little bit is to say, like, what are we doing here with this clip? like are we trying to say that the this one particular belief system is better than another um and and I mean that's that's what we obviously believe with respect to our individual uh lifestyle choices, but in this regard. You know, tolerance is about living peacefully with those who hold a completely different view. And and let's you know use it in an extreme perspective, living, taught to- like intolerance with those who might even deem the way that you live to be immoral or sinful, and vice versa. Right? So, you know the the predicament is for society is how do we figure out how do we let the you know the person who um let's say wants to have seven wives live in community with those that don't want to live that lifestyle well you know that's how you know you end up with random places in the u.s where polygamy is its own thing and it's kind of within its own little communities because some aspects of being tolerant towards other people is being like I got to leave you alone. Um and and it all comes down to what I was trying to get before. Like res- as long as you're not bringing violence, as long as you're not willing to cross that line of violating another person's property, I don't care what you believe. Believe whatever you want to believe. Like I'm tolerant. You can believe whatever you want. You start violating my property and my family, or my, you know, my personhood—different conversation. And so that's where, you know, why I bring up the Don Cherry example because I it. What Don Cherry said, in and of itself, did not call for violence. Somebody took it and 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 took a decided to violate another person's property with it. Okay, guess what? I have a problem with that. And and we all should, um, but being concerned that a particular statement. Has is, you know, and as I put it, oh, because I was critical towards one group of people, right? The fact that someone might take that to now, oh, I'm going to take that criticism to violence is something that's, that is in and of itself different. Um, and, and, you know, I would say you t- look at Jugmeet Singh, based on everything he said, if you took something he said, um, You know, with respect to, uh, let's say, you know, when he called out the PPC as to, like, being a dangerous ideology. Well, I would hope that if somebody... The
0: PPC? Define PPC for those who don't know.
1: Oh, the People's Party of Canada was another party uh, within the Canadian election. And they were looking... I mean, one of their big platforms was to reduce or at least have a conversation. Maybe that's a better way of putting it. They wanted to have a conversation around what was the right level of immigration. But but Jugmeet Singh called him dangerous. Now what if someone took that and then decided to um be violent towards a, a PPC candidate or or you know defame a PPC candidate's poster? Um
0: Yeah, but I think but that's but that's my whole those argument. Those are things that's right, yeah, and that's what I'm arguing against that you know it's a matter of hope and some people have their hope. In the wrong things. And I think when it comes to religion, and that's why I use the term, that's how I was defining religion as that thing that people put their hope in and their life revolves Mm -hmm. around um, that particular conviction. Like, yeah, you might not like the fact that the guy, uh, you know, defaced the monument, but part of his hope was being threatened. And when people's hope is being threatened, you know, people lash out and they do aggressive things and that's why like when we talk about like you know a person's politics or a person's um religion and religion and politics have to be separate well no they're not separate i I would say there's points where there are left where there is crossover and then there's points where they're separate so like for example um islam does not separate church and state they don't separate their religion from their politics those things are one because the goal according to their book is global domination to bring the everybody in submission
1: to allah you see would that would you say that uh the jews are very much the same uh the jews not not so much in in motivation but in terms of separation of church and state concept i think those like oh no, unlike religion, unlike unlike
0: they're not like muslims
1: I, I'm saying that they're that so they are like Muslims in that their religion and their politics m- blend uh, I, I, and I'm more contrasting it with Christianity,
0: yeah, yeah, and even even like the Sikhs, right even so like when you like look at Sikhs because Sikhs believe salvation is found here and that it's all about equality. So what's the best way to bring about equality well, through the political system? So, you know, they mobilize yeah. together and and I'm sure that all of their intentions are great intentions to help the people and make the world a better place. And that's why they have such a, a complex functional structure that they have politically to be able to, you know, have such, you know, minimum people, but wield so much power. And so that's why I was mm-hmm. saying like, you know, the religion and politics there, there is overlap and you don't separate the two. So like I said before, episode 35, we talked about church and state, meaning that the church and state should be separate right cuz church and state has to do with the institutions right so so the church mm-hmm. shouldn't be wielding the sword and executing justice and 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 the state shouldn't be funding the church diaconate fund church and state are separate but when it comes to uh, religion and politics that has to deal with the individual and philosophies and there's overlap there um, the reason why people want to separate religion and politics is because they don't want to be forced to believe something they don't want to believe, but that's what you get with democracy. People are always forced. That's the nature of democracy. We're always forced to believe in, well, in that's in the, the nature stuff. of government. Right. Right. It's so it's a monopoly on force. Right. Which
1: is a lot of people don't like me saying that.
0: Yes, but yeah, but what I'm saying is that. But people will say, "Okay, well, no, that's that's religion and politics. No, that's not religion and politics. That's the government. That's." That's democracy. So we want to make sure that we're, we're we're dispelling these myths that say, okay, well, you can't be a religious person and be in the political system. That's
1: not true. Yeah, I think, you know, I think if I remember correctly, the way I closed out that show, uh, episode 35, I, I would probably, it, I'm having a bit of deja vu to just saying that for those that think only christians have a religion or that church and state means you know explicit religion only um, the predicament is you, know, you have a belief system everyone has a belief system and and to pretend like your belief system isn't going to influence your politics i mean it can come down to the simplest of things right with regards to um you know how much should someone help the poor well that, that's a belief system. You know, you may have a, as a Christian, I I determine what is moral in regards to helping the poor based on the Bible. You might determine what's moral with regards to helping the poor based on life experience. And, and the only reason I may bring that up is to say that, you know, this idea of separation of church and state with regards to we shouldn't be having any you know religious influence on our politics um in essence is ignorant to the fact that we all have a belief system we all have uh, a a source of morality some of them more objective than others um and as a result you know for the most part religion and belief system influences the laws and the politics. And and I would challenge someone who's really like, but church and state need to be separated. You need to look at the origins. Cause really the origin was getting King George away from the pulpit.
0: Right. Right.
1: <laughs> Not the pulpit away from telling how influencing how King George is going to rule. Mm-hmm. So that that's my two cents. I feel like I'm I totally had a bit of deja vu as I was thinking through what I was gonna say. So hopefully it's not so much in the same.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, so I'd like to leave the listener with this that all religions of the book have the same dilemma or the same problem. You have people who read the book and people who don't. The people who read the book and try to conserve the faith, or the teachings of their book are called conservatives. The people who try to depart or liberate themselves from the dogma are called liberals. So therefore, we have uh, religious liberals and religious conservatives. And so those people who are are submitted to their text and make decisions based on their text um, when it comes to how they live out their life in, 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 in society, that includes just, you know, your everyday um, going to work and helping out your neighbor, and also that also includes uh, your civic duty of voting. So we see that particular camp of conservatives. But then you have people who are liberal who who are nominal, meaning that in name they are Christian or in name they are Muslim or in uh, or in name they are Sikh, but they are right nominal. They're liberal, departing from those teachings and using the uh, common. Um, the common beliefs of the day or the the most popular um, hashtags or political system that's popular, that's what they're submitting themselves to. So it's always important to make sure that we're nuanced in the conversation when we say, okay, well, well, you're a Christian and according to your scriptures, it teaches this, so why are you voting this way? And now for those who say that brown people can't have privilege, only white people can, I say come to Brampton. The Indian community is doing well for themselves here in creating their own culture of privilege. Community privilege is about population. The majority will always have more privilege than the minority. Privileges meaning familiarity and accommodation. Economically speaking, there is no incentive for a majority to give up an absolute comfort to the minority for an absolute discomfort. If you're uncomfortable in the community you're in, leave it go to a community where you'd be more comfortable. Like I said, community privilege is a good, familiarity and accommodation. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from God. James chapter 1 verse 17. God in his wisdom gives gifts disproportionately. Like it or not, at one time in history, the Jews were the only ones who had access to the one true God. What shall we say then? God is unjust? Because there's an equality in the world? Stop the nonsense. In all Job's affliction, his wife said to him, Are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. But Job replied, You talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? Job chapter 2 verse 9 to 10. When we look at a biblical theology which is the unfolding of the story of God's plan to redeem his people from sin, we learn that there was no material and role equality in the Garden of Eden before sin entered the creation, and there will be no material or role equality after sin in the new heavens and the new earth. Now, the Bible does not teach fatalism to just accept your fate, but God encourages everyone to improve their situation through innovation without sin as commanded in the cultural mandate, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28, and then uh, Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. Now, the reason why Christians don't do as well as Sikhs in the political system is because King Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And he gave us a different commission, the first great commission, the cultural mandate to promote human flourishing, and the second great commission to make disciples of all nations, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Christians can accomplish these two commissions without the government. God created the institution of the government in Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 to 6, to give the people order, and God created the institution of the church to give the people a hope. Matthew 16, verse 18. Christians must remember never to confuse the two institutions. And that's my two cents. Amen, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Sixth Sense Fellowship. Yeah. So, guys, if you guys, um, we want to hear from you guys. Let us know
1: what you think, and and let us know uh, an issue you want us to talk tackle or a topic that's of interest. Um, you know, we're we're pretty good at uh, when someone throws something at us. If uh, we we generally know how to make a show out of it, we can just spitball and and come up with an idea. So, you know, we we obviously want to talk about the things the listeners want to hear about. So. Mm -hmm. Give us your two cents.
0: Remember, six cents makes change.
1: But you heard me. Does that make sense?